I got it. When I first heard about Dave being trapped in a maze. One, two, three, four. I built a labyrinth. Can you believe it? Dave is trapped in a cardboard maze in his living room and he can't get out. Welcome to Dave Made a Minute. The podcast where a whole bunch of us are exploring the film Dave Made a Maze one minute at a time. The twist. Many of the participants have never seen the film. Some don't even know what film they're sampling. They get their minutes and they tackle them as they see fit. Here's your host from the Groundhog Day Project and Michael Myers Minute, Robert Black. Minute 13, Dave and Annie have a talk and we finally see inside the maze. A note from the commentary track. Given the brief lives of all the sets in Dave Made a Maze, the fly-through shot in this minute was done by running the camera through each set before it was destroyed, and then combining all of that footage. To tackle Minute 13, we have Travis Bow from Watchmen Minute. You come home, there's a giant maze in your living room, you're like, what the... There's a giant maze in my living room. I've heard of people rearranging the furniture, but this is wackadoodle crazy. This doesn't make any sense. Is it's like a fucking cocktail party in here. If I get a few words from you before you go. Welcome to Dave Made a Minute. My name is Travis Bow from the Real Comic Heroes podcast, as well as Watchmen Minute. What the hell are we doing here, folks? So this is kind of a, a group art piece sort of uh, podcast experiment that Robert Black organized. So first off, I'd like to say thank you to Robert for... Letting me letting me be a part of this uh, weird little journey. I'm gonna be your host for this minute, and I've got two other minutes uh, later on uh, in the movie, and uh, I will do my best to get you through those as well. Um, I should say at this point, I have never watched this movie. I have only seen the three minutes that I've been given. I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna talk about this minute, and then I'm going to watch the movie as a whole. And then I think at the end of each of my episodes, I will kind of tack on uh, kind of a spoiler section or just a like a follow-up, you know, once I've seen the whole movie and then I can view this particular minute in context of the entire movie and see if I have any, you know, other thoughts or ideas uh, that I that I've taken from from the uh, the whole experience, but uh, for now I'm just going to talk about this minute. Um, again, this is the only minute I have seen of the movie, and this is minute 13, which starts with Gordon saying he will get it, and ends with Dave sitting alone in this little cardboard chamber that I assume he's constructed, and uh, kind of looking up at the. The echoing voice of what is her name, Amy. So we, yeah, we start the minute, um, dude saying he'll get it. So I'm assuming there was a knock at the door, and then go tend to some other situation. And um, uh, it took me a minute, but I recognize the older fellow that he's that he's talking to as Rick Overton, um, sort of a well-known figure in. Uh, in comedy and um i know uh i think i remember him mostly from you know he was one of the brownies alongside kevin pollock in willow and then um one of the drunk guys in uh 
in Groundhog Day alongside Bill Murray. Uh, shout out to Groundhog Minute because one of the minutes I joined with um, over there was a Rick Overton minute where they were uh, in the car running from the cops. Um, I also know Rick Overton as uh, Pam's dad in the office and like, I don't know, a handful of episodes, He like the wedding episode and uh, maybe one or two others that he would uh, sort of pop up in. But yeah, Rick Overton's got like 173 credits in IMDb, so dude's been around a long time. Um, I'm not sure if this... Uh, he's got this cardigan on, and he's wearing it over like a floral print shirt. I don't know if that's breaking any laws of fashion. Um, the, the cardigan that he's wearing is very patterned. Like it's it's not a printed pattern, but it's like a textural pattern that, again, I'm not sure if it's... Uh, it's clashing against the uh, the floral shirt that he's wearing, but it's a look. He's got this crazy wide-eyed, like maybe homeless kind of vibe about him, like just very unhinged maybe. When Gordon says, you know, I'll get it, and walks off, it uh, uh, Rick Overton's character reacts in the... Like a surprised manner, his eyes get really big as he his eyes kind of follow Gordon um, as he walks away, and he just gets this startled look on his face, as if Gordon's gonna turn around and and spring back and attack him or something. He's he's just very uh, suspect of Gordon, I think, and probably of just about anybody. So Gordon walks past Annie, and she apparently kind of reaches out, maybe grabs his arm as he walks by because her arm kind of falls down at her side when, as Gordon passes. So I don't know if she's, if it's a half-hearted attempt at like stopping him from going to get it or, you know, comforting some in some way. Um, don't know. This is, this is one of those things that context will, will probably help with that. But he walks past, and she just has this like sad and almost ashamed look on her face. Maybe embarrassment? I don't know. And then she goes to crouch down and, and talks to Dave, or rather talks to a little fan that has been um, set up as, like I guess, like an exhaust vent or uh, air intake. Let's see, looking at it now, and the blades are spinning draw air in, I think. So anyways, she's talking to this fan blade um, as it's spinning and you can hear Dave's voice and uh, she crouches down. She says, what? And Dave says, I'm sorry, I can't figure my way out of here. I feel like a fish in a fishbowl. Everything is so close. I'm really sorry. So when he says he's sorry, it makes me wonder how long he's been in here. Um, I don't know if this is like day two or if this is you know weeks that he's been here um hard to tell from just this minute so be interested to find out how long this whole process or this this little adventure has has been going on for uh the the fish in a fishbowl line is interesting um because since we can't see him i think you you tend to think of being in a fishbowl as being very uh visible but uh you know, nowhere to hide that kind of, that kind of thing. So it's it's interesting to hear him say that he feels like a like he's in a fishbowl because everything is so close. Um, 
it's an odd line. I'm not really sure what to make of it. Um, I think maybe it's meant to talk about like claustrophobia and just that feeling of the walls closing in. And, and you know, I get the sense that this movie's a little, a uh, little strange, obviously. So maybe the walls do eventually close in on him. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, he says, I'm really sorry. Uh, her response is just okay. Uh, never the uh, reaction you want when apologizing. So it, it definitely sounds like he's looking for some forgiveness. Uh, he may be looking for some kind of uh, a pass, you know, something to say like, hey, just do what you have to do, finish this thing, you know, let's blow this thing and, and get out of here. So it doesn't seem like he's really getting that, you know, that reaction that he's kind of asking for. Um um, I will. I should say that I do know Dave um, as you know Nick Thune, the uh, comedian. Um, sometimes, I guess, sometimes actor. Um, I mostly know him from listening to him on appearances on uh, Doug Loves Movies and a few other podcasts. But yeah, Doug Loves Movies is where I first uh, became aware of Nick Thune. And then I've seen some of his comedy. Uh, I think he's got his Netflix special or uh, things like that that I've, I've seen him perform. And a uh, very funny guy, um, kind of a hipster comic. Uh, kind of looks a little more clean cut here in this minute. You know, just wearing a like a baseball t-shirt and jeans. And whereas now he, he you know, looks very hipster. Like I said, big beard, um, that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things that that struck me going through this this minute um it, all the sounds that are kind of going on in the background and and all throughout the the minute there's like a metallic echoing kind of clanging sound uh sounds like it's very far away something coming from like duct work you know just something kind of echoey and just just like you'd hear in a I don't know, in a in a big space with a lot of uh, ductwork far away. There's also like a, a plasticky sort of clicking sound, almost like the clicking of a computer mouse about once every second. Um, and then there, I noticed the sound of a low thrumming, like heartbeat sound. It's very fast, and I think it's meant to be air flowing over those fan blades, that exhaust fan. Um, but to me, it just sounds very... Uh, heartbeat like very you know it's providing this uh some essential elements such as uh air into this into this maze um we get the line from dave says or uh from annie she says this is stupid and he says not from in here um i'm guessing he, like, he's in this maze and for only reasons like he can understand and uh, from what i assume he sort of understands why he's there and like maybe he's put himself here and he's looking for understanding for all of this but he can't really provide more reason for his situation um so it's hard for someone else to understand and appreciate why he's doing this so i get that sense when he you know says things like earlier when he says he's sorry or yeah, my early prediction is that this maze, you know, this, I think this whole maze represents 
that feeling, you know, uh, insecurity when you're, you know, 20 something, uh, early 30s, and you don't know what direction your life is going in, and maybe you feel a little lost, you feel like you're not yet an adult, but you're not a kid anymore. And it's just life is is confusing. And, and I get the sense that that's what this maze is a little bit. Just as a theme, not really as a uh, plot point. Um, we get the line, the, the thing between them. He says, I miss you. And then the, this part really surprised me. She uh, kind of not freaks out, but she looks a little bewildered, stands up and looks out into the the apartment. And there's like five uh, five other people in, in this place that we i had no idea about you know before this um uh, one of which like uh rick overton's you know hobo character kind of pops his head out from behind someone to see the reaction or see what she's gonna do and everyone's just just um yeah everyone is just like waiting on what what's the expression waiting on like bated breath like like a cliffhanger type situation where they're just waiting for to see what her response is going to be um uh, a few of them are holding teacups uh it's just this weird audience and uh they're very they're a very captive audience uh it feels like a audience of a rom-com like they seem to be hanging on to this like i miss you line as if they're getting the payoff to a will they won't they storyline like they're they're viewing this relationship yeah, almost like a you're watching friends and you see you know what are Ross and Rachel gonna how are they gonna you know are they gonna make it through this kind of thing I feel like that's the mood that these these people have as they're they're watching um I'll accept the uh there's a chick on the right with this big floppy hat and she looks unamused like just does not seem to be her scene. I've got this playing on loop. I want to see her reaction again. Yeah, just it's a brief look, but she just not, doesn't look uh, as hopeful as the rest of them. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, so let's see. We She says, I miss you too. And at that point, we uh, phase through the fan blade as it's spinning. And we go into the maze a little bit and start going through... These uh, cardboard construction like uh, corridors and and twisting and turning, going around corners and all this, and and kind of hear the "I miss you" echoing through, and it, it, you know, then you're aware of how much space this uh, cardboard maze is is occupying. But then they're in an apartment or maybe a house that you know this is all inside of, but you know, when she stands up and shares the the reaction look with the other people in the apartment, like there's a cardboard, you know, monstrosity between them, but it looks like it's no further than, you know, maybe 10 feet apart. So this is all taking place inside of something that's, you know, small enough to fit in an apartment, but big enough inside that, you know, he's able to move around as a, as a full-sized person, um, so definitely a um a surprising uh, a bit, you know. So I'm not sure how that exactly works. Um uh, just more 
more uh, craziness to figure out later. Or maybe maybe it's something that they don't really explain. It just kind of a kind of a magic that just happens to work. You know, maybe a little bit of a, a TARDIS type situation where it's bigger on the inside. You know, um, I get that kind of sense from it. So, um, yeah, when she says that. Uh, she kind of gives an eye roll when she is looking at everybody in their response as they're waiting for her to to respond to them uh, before she says "I miss you." And uh, yeah, the the eye roll is, uh, I think, it comes from the fact that she has to respond to Dave in a like placating manner in a in a comforting way. Um, they kind of everyone is expecting her to say "I miss you too." Um, so she does. She seems kind of annoyed uh, with these other people in the quote-unquote audience. You know, they've offered no help. They're just waiting in anticipation for her to respond to him. And and then we have this "I miss you too" that travels through the cardboard labyrinth until it you know reaches Dave. He's shoeless. Uh, he's wearing some sort of like maybe big uh, mitten. Kind of looks like a boxing glove, but it looks also just like a regular uh, mitten that you'd wear in cold weather. Um, so this, uh, the echo, uh, the, the, I miss you too echo reaches him. And it seems like he's a, a great distance away from, from where Annie is talking, you know, crouched down by the fan. Um, but the dialogue that, you know, when we're outside the maze and we're just looking at Anne Annie, as she's talking to him, it sounds like he's just on the other side of this cardboard wall. Like it sounds like his voice is just right there. Um, and then, you know, once she says, I miss you too, this echo travels and travels and goes around corners and, and long, these long hallways and finally reaches him where he's sitting in this kind of uh, big empty space. And it, so it kind of plays with uh, the distance like that. Like he's, even though we on the outside, we it seems like he's just on the other side. He's really not. He's very far away, but his voice sounds you know very close. So it's kind of strange and, and messing with your uh, expectations, I guess. So that was uh, kind of a fun, just uh, surprise, just uh, caught me off guard a little bit. Um, and that's pretty much it. Um, uh, so what do we know? There's uh, there's a group of group of people in the in what looks to be an apartment um they appear just to be uh, like i said before audience members some people that are just kind of watching and waiting for what's going to happen then you have uh, annie who seems kind of fed up with this whole thing um uh, she's trying to be supportive for dave um but is having a hard time understanding it understandably um, there's Gordon, uh, don't know anything about him other than he likes to go answer doors. And there's this, uh, hobo type looking, uh, Rick Overton character. And then we have Dave in a maze in a room. So I have a lot more questions. Um, I have very few answers and I think that's where we're going to end it. Um, yeah, uh, I plan to, like I said, I'm going to, Record my other minutes, um, just like this, where I'm, I'm going in first view, um, instant, rea instant reaction sort of thing. And then I'm going to watch the whole movie, and then I'm going to come back with a little spoiler section or uh, post-viewing post, post -viewing 
follow up, I guess, and kind of talk about it. So if you are also going into this kind of one minute at a time, you know, basically end the episode here and I'll say, uh, throw out my plugs, you know, uh, catch me over at, uh, real comic heroes. It's my podcast where, uh, we go through, uh, comic book movies, um, going chronologically through the decades and, and through the years and finding out just, how the genre has changed, and then you can also find me over on Watchmen Minute, where we are breaking down the director's cut of Zack Snyder's Watchmen one minute at a time. Um, so if either of those sound like your thing, then just search Real Comic Heroes or Watchmen Minute in your podcast app of choice, and hopefully you'll find us there. If not, let us know. We're on Twitter and Facebook, uh, just Real Comic Heroes and Watchmen a Minute, pretty easy to find everywhere. So uh, reach out, let us know. Uh, I will say goodbye. Um, good luck with the rest of the movie, and I will talk to you again. It'll be a little while, but I will be back, and um, I will pass it off to future Travis. Um, he's going to jump in here in a minute and provide some I don't know, maybe some answers. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Uh, thanks again to Robert Black for creating this whole insane little journey. Um, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. But until then, I will say goodbye. Are you still with me? Good. So this section is going to sort of be kind of looking back at the minute with the context of the previous 12 minutes, now that I've watched the whole thing, and a little bit of the, the rest of the movie. I'm not going to go into too much detail for the rest of the movie in case you're following along with the episodes of the podcast, but you haven't gone the entire length of the movie. So right off the bat, uh, one of my first assumptions or things that I noticed was when Gordon goes to answer the door, Annie puts her hand... Let me back that up. I thought Annie put her hand onto Gordon's arm as he passed by as a way of sort of comforting him in this weird time that they're going through with, with Dave and whatever you know situation this is. But uh, it turns out she had the cash and was just handing it off to Gordon as he passed by her on his way to the door. So uh, it was not a moment of tenderness or you know, comfort since they thought, you know, Dave was losing his mind and, and trying to figure out how to help their friend. But, you know, they just had to, had to pay for the pizza. So also admirable, but, you know. Um, so I've got the minute here just, just kind of looping in the background. And uh, especially in this minute and also throughout the entire movie, I really sort of fell in love with the character of Annie. You know, she's great in this minute, just kind of watching her react to Dave and she just dives right into it. You know, she doesn't she doesn't need to be like the the situation that Dave is in doesn't have to be explained. It's just she accepts it and she deals with it. Um, and as, that is one of the interesting things about this movie. Um, and I think. It's a big reason of why the whimsy works as well as it does, and it, it really does. You know, I'm thinking about a movie like 
Schenectady, New York with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, it, it's, I know it's not spelled Schenectady, but it's spelled like Sindosh, New York or some weird, uh, title for that movie. But it, it's another weird movie where, you know, he's writing a play about his life. And as he writes the play and as they begin to build sets, the, the sets grow around them and, you know, eventually they build the his apartment inside of a warehouse. And then as the story goes on, they start to build, you know, a city block with inside of a warehouse. And then that warehouse, they, they outgrow it. So they build a warehouse around that warehouse to, you know, encompass everything. And so it also plays with the uh, kind of bending the physics of space and and three dimensions like this does with kind of with having this maze, this full size maze inside of a box inside this living room. Um, but I think it works the as well as it does here because everyone just accepts the whimsy of it. You know, when Dave says I'm inside of a maze, they understand that he is, you know, deep inside of a maze. They don't think that he is just sitting in a cardboard box inside of the living room. Everyone just dives in and understands that when he says maze, they they understand that it's it's not just, you know, like I said, it's not just him sitting inside of a box. Um and Annie, I think, does that particularly well. Um Gordon also just goes with it and and you know, has fun with this uh, crazy world that they step inside. Um, but yeah, I was really just blown away by by Annie throughout this whole movie, um, kind of starting here and, you know, just seeing how she knows how to deal with Dave. Like she gives him a, you know, she she's very understanding and she's very patient with Dave. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what else to say about the the minute itself other than I thought it was really cool that this is actually the first time we see inside the maze. Um I didn't realize that, you know, going through the minute, you know, first time around cuz to me I I hadn't seen what came before this, so, you know, so I didn't know that uh, you know, this uh this the line of I miss you that takes us into the maze. That's the first time we're, we're actually seeing it. So it's, there's kind of a payoff in a way when you get to, you get to appreciate, you know, like I was saying, Dave is, is deep within the maze, you know, because we have this, this echo traveling through corridors and going around corners and everything until it reaches Dave. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed kind of finding out that, that, this minute is the first look inside the maze. So that was um, another reason to, to for me to be happy with uh, with getting this minute. So don't know what else to say about this minute. Um, the movie as a whole, once I loved, once I watched it, I I couldn't really turn it off. I I, I just really was taken by the movie and again it comes back to that whimsy. Like I loved how it just had fun with with doing whatever it wanted and it never felt it it's a ridiculous movie but in a good way not in a you know what were they thinking how did they 
you know, nothing ridiculous is, is not a negative here. Um, fun, whimsy, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. I'm really glad to, to be a part of this project. Um, and now I'm just rambling. So I think I'll end it there. Um, I'm really excited to see where this podcast goes. Um, I'm really excited to, to hear what other people think of the movie and, and to see how they, to hear how they tackle this thing. So I'm going to end it here so that we can all come back tomorrow and listen to the next minute and the one after that. And uh, so, yeah, uh, you can find Dave Made a Minute on Twitter, just at Dave Made a Minute. Thanks again to Robert for starting this whole thing. Um, if you want to hear more of me, you can find me on the Real Comic Heroes podcast at Real Comic Heroes on Twitter and Watchmen Minute at Watchmen Minute everywhere. And uh, yeah, I hope you uh, check me out over there. You can find me on Twitter at that Travis Bow. So that's going to be it. Um, but until we finish this thing, how about a high five? And then I can probably disarm all the traps. And then we can we can finish this maze. Who is with me? That was Travis Bow from Watchmen Minute taking on minute 13 of Dave Made a Maze. He will be back in minute 31. Next time on Dave Made a Minute, we've got Liz Whitaker of Mean Girls Minute along with Allison Graham taking on minute 14. Thank you for listening to Dave Made a Minute. Intro dialogue snippets were taken from Dave Made a Maze, directed by Bill Watterson, written by Bill Watterson and Steve Sears, and produced by John Charles Meyer. Intro music is Diversion by The Equals, featured in the film Dave Made a Maze, and Life Cycle of a Match by Parvis Decree. Outro music is Leaving This Godforsaken Place and Her Presence is Strong Here by Parvis Decree. Dave Made a Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio and all other featured podcast producers. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dave Made a Minute. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, and check out all of the participants' other shows to spread the love around. Again, thank you for listening. As long as we're all working together, this is going to be fine. It's going to be great. I need you to notify the families of everyone who died here today. Totally. Wait, what? I got it! When I first heard about Dave being trapped in a maze... One, two, three, four! I built a labyrinth. Can you believe it? Dave is trapped in a cardboard maze in his living room and he can't get out. Welcome to Dave Made a Minute, the podcast where a whole bunch of us are exploring the film Dave Made a Maze one minute at a time. The twist. Many of the participants have never seen the film. Some don't even know what film they're sampling. They get their minutes and they tackle them as they see fit. Here's your host from the Groundhog Day Project and Michael Myers Minute, Robert Black. Minute 13, Dave and Annie have a talk and we finally see inside the maze. A note from the commentary track. Given the brief lives of all the sets in Dave Made a Maze, the fly-through shot in this minute was done by running the camera through each set before it was destroyed and then combining all of that footage. To tackle Minute 13, we have Travis Bowe from Watchmen Minute. You come home, there's a giant maze in your living room. You're like, what the? There's a giant maze in my living room. I've heard of people rearranging the furniture, but this is wackadoodle crazy. Oh, my God.
It doesn't make any sense. Is that a problem? Is it a problem? Am I saying that? It's a problem. It's like a fucking cocktail party in here. I get a few words from you before you go. Welcome to Dave Made a Minute. My name is Travis Bowe from the Real Comic Heroes podcast as well as Watchmen Minute. What the hell are we doing here, folks? So this is kind of a, a group art piece sort of uh, podcast experiment that Robert Black organized. So first off, I'd like to say thank you to Robert for letting me letting me be a part of this uh, weird little journey. I'm going to be your host for this minute, and I've got two other minutes uh, later on uh, in the movie, and uh, I will do my best to get you through those as well. Um, I should say at this point, I have never watched this movie. I have only seen the three minutes that I've been given. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about this minute, and then I'm going to watch the movie as a whole. And then I think at the end of each of my episodes, I will kind of tack on uh, kind of a spoiler section or just a like a follow-up, you know, once I've seen the whole movie and then I can view this particular minute in context of the entire movie and see if I have any, you know, other thoughts or ideas uh, that I that I've taken from from the uh, the whole experience. But uh, for now, I'm just going to talk about this minute. Um, again, this is the only minute I have seen of the movie, and this is minute 13, which starts with Gordon saying he will get it, and ends with Dave sitting alone in this little cardboard chamber that I assume he's constructed and uh, kind of looking up at the the echoing voice of what is her name Amy so we yeah we start the minute um, dude saying he'll get it so I'm assuming there was a knock at the door and then go tend to some other situation and um uh, it took me a minute, but I recognize the older fellow that he's that he's talking to as Rick Overton, um, sort of a well-known figure in uh, in comedy, and um, I know uh, I think I remember him mostly from you know he was one of the brownies alongside Kevin Pollock in Willow, and then. Um, one of the drunk guys in uh, in Groundhog Day alongside Bill Murray. Uh, shout out to Groundhog Minute because one of the minutes I joined with um, over there was a Rick Overton minute where they were uh, in the car running from the cops. Um, I also know Rick Overton as uh, Pam's dad in the office and like, I don't know, a handful of episodes, he, like the wedding episode and... Uh, maybe one or two others that he would uh, sort of pop up in. But yeah, Rick Overton's got like 173 credits in IMDb, so dude's been around a long time. Um, I'm not sure if this... Uh, he's got this cardigan on, and he's wearing it over like a floral print shirt. I don't know if that's breaking any laws of fashion. Um, the, the cardigan that he's wearing is very patterned. Like it's... It's not a printed pattern, but it's like a textural pattern that, again, I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's clashing against the uh, the floral shirt that he's wearing, but it's a look. He's got this crazy wide-eyed, like 
maybe homeless kind of vibe about him, like just very unhinged maybe. When Gordon says, you know, I'll get it and walks off, it uh uh Rick Overton's character reacts in the like a surprised manner, his eyes get really big as he, his eyes kind of follow Gordon um, as he walks away, and he just gets this startled look on his face, as if Gordon's gonna turn around and and spring back and attack him or something. He's he's just very uh, suspect of Gordon, I think, and probably of just about anybody. So Gordon walks past Annie, and she apparently kind of reaches out, maybe grabs his arm as he walks by because her arm kind of falls down at her side when as Gordon passes. So I don't know if she's, if it's a half-hearted attempt at like stopping him from going to get it or, you know, comforting some in some way. Um, don't know. This is, this is one of those things that context will, will probably help with that. But he walks past, and she just has this like sad and almost ashamed look on her face. Maybe embarrassment? I don't know. And then she goes to crouch down and talks to Dave, or rather talks to a little fan that has been um, set up as, like I guess, like an exhaust vent or uh, air intake. Let's see, looking at it now, and the blades are spinning draw air in i think so anyways she's talking to this fan blade um as it's spinning and you can hear dave's voice and uh, she crouches down she says what and dave says i'm sorry i can't figure my way out of here i feel like a fish in a fishbowl everything is so close i'm really sorry so when he says he's sorry it makes me wonder how long he's been in here um i don't know if this is like day two or if this is you know weeks that he's been here um hard to tell from just this minute so be interested to find out how long this whole process or this this little adventure has has been going on for uh the the fish in a fishbowl line is interesting um because since we can't see him i think you you tend to think of being in a fishbowl as being very uh visible but uh you know, nowhere to hide that kind of, that kind of thing. So it's it's interesting to hear him say that he feels like a like he's in a fishbowl because everything is so close. Um, it's an odd line. I'm not really sure what to make of it. Um, I think maybe it's meant to talk about like claustrophobia and just that feeling of the walls closing in. And, and you know, I get the sense that this. Movie's a little, uh, little strange, obviously. So maybe the walls do eventually close in on him. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, he says, "I'm really sorry." Uh, her response is just okay. Uh, never the uh, reaction you want when apologizing. So it, it definitely sounds like he's looking for some forgiveness. Uh, maybe looking for some kind of uh, a pass. You know, something to say like, "Hey, just." Do what you have to do, finish this thing, you know, let's blow this thing and, and get out of here. So it doesn't seem like he's really getting that, you know, that reaction that he's kind of asking for. Um, um, I will, I should say that I do know Dave um, as, you know, Nick Thune, the uh, comedian, um, 
sometimes, I guess, sometimes actor. Um, I mostly know him from listening to him on appearances on uh, Doug Loves Movies and a few other podcasts. But yeah, Doug Loves Movies is where I first uh, became aware of Nick Thune. And then I've seen some of his comedy. Uh, I think he's got his Netflix special or uh, things like that that I've, I've seen him perform. And uh, a very funny guy, um, kind of a hipster comic. Uh, kind of looks a little more clean cut here in this minute. You know, just wearing a like a baseball t-shirt and jeans. And whereas now he, you know, looks very hipster. Like I said, big beard, um, that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things that that struck me going through this this minute, um, it, all the sounds that are kind of going on in the background and and all throughout the the minute there's like a metallic echoing kind of clanging sound uh sounds like it's very far away something coming from like duct work you know just something kind of echoey and just just like you'd hear in a i don't know in a in a big space with a lot of uh duct work far away there's also like a, a plasticky sort of clicking sound, almost like the clicking of a computer mouse about once every second. Um, and then there, I noticed the sound of a low thrumming, like heartbeat sound. It's very fast, and I think it's meant to be air flowing over those fan blades, that exhaust fan. Um, but to me, it just sounds very uh, heartbeat-like, very, you know, it's providing this, uh, some essential elements such as uh air into this into this maze um we get the line from dave says or uh from annie she says this is stupid and he says not from in here um i'm guessing he, like, he's in this maze and for only reasons like he can understand and uh, from what i assume he sort of understands why he's there and like maybe he's put himself here and he's looking for understanding for all of this, but he can't really provide more reason for his situation. Um, so it's hard for someone else to understand and appreciate why he's doing this. So I get that sense when he you know, says things like earlier when he says he's sorry or yeah, my early prediction is that this maze, you know, this, I think this whole maze represents that feeling, you know, uh, insecurity when you're, you know, 20 something, uh, early thirties and you don't know what direction your life is going in and maybe you feel a little lost. You feel like you're not yet an adult, but you're not a kid anymore. And it's just, life is is confusing and and i get the sense that that's what this maze is a little bit just as a theme not really as a uh, plot point um we get the line the, the thing between them he says i miss you and then the, this part really surprised me she uh kind of not freaks out but she looks a little bewildered stands up and looks out into the the apartment and there's like five uh five other people in in this place that we i had no idea about you know before this um uh, one of which like uh rick overton's you know hobo character kind of 
pops his head out from behind someone to see the reaction or see what she's going to do. And everyone's just, just, um, yeah, everyone is just like waiting on what, what's the expression waiting on like bated breath, like, like a cliffhanger type situation where they are just waiting for, to see what her response is going to be. Um, uh, a few of them are holding teacups. Uh, it, it's just this weird audience and, uh, they're very, they're a very captive audience. Uh, it feels like a audience of a rom com. Like they seem to be hanging on to this, like "I miss you" line, as if they're getting the payoff to a "will they, won't they" storyline. Like they're, they're viewing this relationship yeah, almost like a you're watching Friends and you see, you know, what are Ross and Rachel gonna, how are they gonna, you know, are they gonna make it through this kind of thing? I feel like that's the mood that these these people have as they're they're watching um i'll accept the uh there's a chick on the right with this big floppy hat and she looks unamused like just does not seem to be her scene i've got this playing on loop i want to see her reaction again yeah just it's a brief look but she just not doesn't look uh as hopeful as the rest of them uh, i'm not sure um, so let's see, we, she says, I miss you too. And at that point we, uh, phase through the fan blade as it's spinning and we go into the maze a little bit and start going through these, uh, cardboard construction, like, uh, corridors and, and twisting and turning, going around corners and all this, and, and kind of hear the, I miss you echoing through and it, it you know, then you're aware of how much space this uh, cardboard maze is is occupying, but then they're in an apartment or maybe a house that you know this is all inside of. But like you know, when she stands up and shares the the reaction look with the other people in the apartment, like there's a cardboard you know monstrosity between them, but it looks like it's no further than you know, maybe 10 feet apart. So this is all taking place inside of something that's, you know, small enough to fit in an apartment, but big enough inside that, you know, he's able to move around as a, as a full-sized person. Um, so definitely a, um, a surprising uh, a bit, you know. So I'm not sure how that exactly works. Um, uh, just more more uh, craziness to figure out later or maybe maybe it's something that they don't really explain it just kind of a kind of a magic that just happens to work you know maybe a little bit of a, a tardis type situation where it's bigger on the inside you know um i get that kind of sense from it so um yeah when she says that uh she kind of gives an eye roll when she is looking at everybody in their response as they're waiting for her to to respond to them uh, before she says, I miss you. And uh, yeah, the, the eye roll is, uh, I think it comes from the fact that she has to respond to Dave in a like placating manner, in a, in a comforting way. Um, they kind of, everyone is expecting her to say, I miss you too. Um, so she does. She seems kind of annoyed uh, with these other people in the quote unquote audience. You know they've offered no help. They're just waiting in anticipation for her to respond to him, 
and and then we have this I miss you too that travels through the cardboard labyrinth until it you know reaches Dave he's shoeless uh he's wearing some sort of like maybe big uh, mitten kind of looks like a boxing glove but it looks also just like a regular uh, mitten that you'd wear in cold weather um so this uh, the echo uh, the, the I Miss You Too echo reaches him, and it seems like he's a, a great distance away from from where Annie is talking, you know, crouched down by the fan. Um, but the dialogue that, you know, when we're outside the maze and we're just looking at Anne, Annie as she's talking to him, it sounds like he's just on the other side of this cardboard wall. Like it sounds like his voice is just right there. Um, and then you know, once she says, I miss you too, this echo travels and travels and goes around corners and, and long, these long hallways and finally reaches him where he's sitting in this kind of, uh, big empty space. And so it kind of plays with, uh, the distance like that. Like he's, even though we on the outside, we, it seems like he's just on the other side. He's really not, he's very far away, but his voice sounds, you know, very close. So it's kind of, Strange and, and messing with your uh, expectations, I guess. So that was uh, kind of a fun, just uh, surprise, just uh, caught me off guard a little bit. Um, and that's pretty much it. Um, uh, so what do we know? There's a, there's a group of, group of people in the in what looks to be an apartment. Um, they appear just to be, uh, like I said before, audience members, some people that are just kind of watching and waiting for what's going to happen. Then you have uh, Annie, who seems kind of fed up with this whole thing. Uh, she's trying to be supportive for Dave, um, but is having a hard time understanding it, understandably. Um, there's Gordon. I uh, don't know anything about him other than he likes to go answer doors. And there's this uh, hobo-type-looking uh, Rick Overton character. And then we have Dave in a maze in a room. So I have a lot more questions. Um, I have very few answers, and I think that's where we're going to end it. Um, yeah, uh, I plan to, like I said, I'm going to record my other minutes um, just like this where I'm, I'm going in first view, um, instant, rea instant reaction sort of thing, and then I'm going to watch the whole movie, and then I'm going to come back with a little spoiler section or uh, post post viewing follow up, I guess, and kind of talk about it. So, if you are also going into this kind of one minute at a time, you know, basically end the episode here, and I'll say, uh, throw out my plugs. You know, uh, catch me over at uh, Real Comic Heroes. It's my podcast where uh, we go through uh, comic book movies, um, going chronologically through the decades and, and through the years and finding out just how the genre has changed. And then you can also find me over on Watchmen Minute, where we are breaking down the director's cut of Zack Snyder's Watchmen one minute at a time. Um, so if either of those sound like your thing, then just search Real Comic Heroes or Watchmen Minute in your podcast app of choice, and hopefully you'll find us there. If not, let us know. We're on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, just Real Comic Heroes and Watchmen Minute. Pretty easy to find everywhere. So 
uh, reach out, let us know. Uh, I will say goodbye. Um, good luck with the rest of the movie and I will talk to you again. It'll be a little while, but I will be back and, um, I will pass it off to future Travis. Um, he's going to jump in here in a minute and provide some, I don't know, maybe some answers. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Uh, thanks again to Robert Black for creating this whole insane little journey. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes, but until then I will say goodbye. Are you still with me? Good. So this section is going to sort of be kind of looking back at the minute with the context of the previous 12 minutes now that I've watched the whole thing and a little bit of the, the rest of the movie. I'm not going to go into too much detail for the rest of the movie in case you're following along with the episodes of the podcast, but you haven't gone the entire length of the movie. So right off the bat, uh, one of my first assumptions or things that I noticed was when Gordon goes to answer the door, Annie puts her hand... Let me back that up. I thought Annie put her hand onto Gordon's arm as he passed by as a way of sort of comforting him in this weird time that they're going through with, with Dave and whatever you know situation this is. But uh, it turns out she had the cash and was just handing it off to Gordon as he passed by her on his way to the door. So uh, it was not a moment of tenderness or you know, comfort since they thought, you know, Dave was losing his mind and, and trying to figure out how to help their friend. But, you know, they just had to, had to pay for the pizza. So also admirable, but, you know. Um, so I've got the minute here just, just kind of looping in the background. And uh, especially in this minute and also throughout the entire movie, I really sort of fell in love with the character of Annie you know, she's great in this minute, just kind of watching her react to Dave and she just dives right into it. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't need to be like the, the situation that Dave is in doesn't have to be explained. It's just, she accepts it and she deals with it. Um, and that's, that is one of the interesting things about this movie. Um, and I think, it's a big reason of why the whimsy works as well as it does. And it, it really does. You know, I'm thinking about a movie like Schenectady, New York with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, it, it's, I know it's not spelled Schenectady, but it's spelled like Sindosh, New York or some weird uh, title for that movie. But it, it's another weird movie where, you know, he's writing a play about his life, and as he writes the play and as they begin to build sets, the, the sets grow around them, and, you know, eventually they build the his apartment inside of a warehouse, and then as the story goes on, they start to build, you know, a city block with inside of a warehouse, and then that warehouse, they, they outgrow it, so they build a warehouse around that warehouse to, you know encompass everything and so it also plays with the uh kind of bending the physics of space and and three dimensions like this does with kind of with having this maze this full size maze inside of a box inside this living room um but i think it works the 
as well as it does here because everyone just accepts the whimsy of it. You know, when Dave says, I'm inside of a maze, they understand that he is, you know, deep inside of a maze. They don't think that he is just sitting in a cardboard box inside of the living room. Everyone just dives in and understands that when he says maze, they they understand that it's it's not just, you know, like I said, it's not just him sitting inside of a box. Um, and Annie, I think, does that particularly well. Um, Gordon also just goes with it and, and you know, has fun with this uh, crazy world that they step inside. Um, but yeah, I was really just blown away by, by Annie throughout this whole movie, um, kind of starting here and, you know, just seeing how she knows how to deal with Dave. Like she gives him... A, you know she she's very understanding and she's very patient with Dave uh, so I thought that was pretty cool um what else yeah I mean I I don't know what else to say about the the minute itself other than I thought it was really cool that this is actually the first time we see inside the maze um, I didn't realize that you know going through the minute you know first time around because to me I I hadn't seen what came before this, so you know, so I didn't know that uh, you know this uh, this the line of "I miss you" that takes us into the maze. That's the first time we're we're actually seeing it. So it's there's kind of a payoff in a way when you get to you get to appreciate you know, like I was saying, Dave is is deep within the maze, you know, because we have this this echo traveling through corridors and going around corners and everything until it reaches Dave. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed kind of finding out that, that this minute is the first look inside the maze. So that was, um, another reason to, to, for me to be happy with, uh, with getting this minute. So don't know what else to say about this minute. Um, the movie as a whole, once I loved, once I watched it, I, I couldn't really turn it off. I, I I just really was taken by the movie. And again, it comes back to that whimsy. Like I loved how it just had fun with, with doing whatever it wanted. And it never felt it. It's a ridiculous movie, but in a good way, not in a, you know, what were they thinking? How did they, you know, nothing Ridiculous is is not a negative here. Um, fun, whimsy, ridiculous, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. I'm really glad to to be a part of this project. Um, and now I'm just rambling, so I think I'll end it there. Um, I'm really excited to see where this podcast goes. Um, I'm really excited to to hear what other people think of the movie and and to see how they to hear how they tackle this thing so i'm gonna end it here so that we can all come back tomorrow and listen to the next minute and the one after that and uh so yeah uh you can find dave made a minute on twitter just at dave made a minute thanks again to robert for starting this whole thing um if you want to hear more of me you can find me on the real comic heroes podcast at real comic heroes on twitter and Watchmen Minute at Watchmen Minute everywhere and uh, yeah hope you uh, 
check me out over there. You can find me on Twitter at that Travis Bow. So that's going to be it. Um, but until we finish this thing, how about a high five? And then I could probably disarm all the traps, and then we can we can finish this maze. Who is with me? That was Travis Bow from Watchmen Minute taking on Minute 13 of Dave Made a Maze. He will be back in Minute 31. Next time on Dave Made a Minute, we've got Liz Whitaker of Mean Girls Minute along with Allison Grimm taking on Minute 14. Thank you for listening to Dave Made a Minute. Intro dialogue snippets were taken from Dave Made a Maze, directed by Bill Watterson, written by Bill Watterson and Steve Sears, and produced by John Charles Meyer. Intro music is Diversion by The Equals, featured in the film Dave Made a Maze, and Life Cycle of a Match by Parvis Decree. Outro music is Leaving This Godforsaken Place and Her Presence is Strong Here by Parvis Decree. Dave Made a Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio and all other featured podcast producers. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dave Made a Minute. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. And check out all of the participants' other shows to spread the love around. Again, thank you for listening. As long as we're all working together, this is going to be fine. It's going to be great. I need you to notify the families of everyone who died here today. Totally. Wait, what? <laughs>